0: amazing okay all right let's get into this all right let's do it i am flying high on the wings of caffeine right now (laughs) so (laughs) all right here we go hello everyone and welcome to the cast of kaw where we talk all things related to the dark tower by Stephen king i'm your co-host rachel and joining me today is the other half of my cotat the person who's gonna have to keep me grounded today because i thought you know what i should do before the show drink a shit ton of coffee and i am flying high at the moment it's only four so- o'clock rachel
1: what's going on here
0: well, I was a little, like, kind of, like, low energy, and I was like, you know, I want to get a little hyped for this podcast. I got quality DJ time. I want to make the most of it, and uh, apparently I have overdosed a little bit on caffeine. <laughs> so I'm just, like, I'm zinging a little bit. I'm zinging. I'm zigging when I should be zagging, so I'm going to need you to, like I said, keep me on track, and I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> How have you been, DJ?
1: I'm great. I thought I wanted a hot cup of tea, but then I... Now I'm too warm and like kind of hot and sweaty and drinking a hot cup of tea. So I've made some poor life
0: decisions, but otherwise mm.
1: I'm I'm doing good. Uh, what's your go-to tea, Rachel?
0: You know what? I'm not a super big tea drinker, but on the occasion when I will have it, I tend towards like anything. I like a black tea or a, an oolong something, highly caffeinated, um, but that is like kind of coffee adjacent. Like I would never go for like an herbal tea or a like a floral tea. Um, and like, uh, I love like an Assam with cinnamon is really, really good. How about you? What do you like?
1: Um, I'm an apple cinnamon person normally, oh. but I'm not usually a caffeinated, uh, mm.
0: tea person. There's still coffee in this cup and I keep picking it up. I need to just set it down and let it be because <laughs> it's only going to get worse from here, people. <laughs> oh,
1: man. All right. So what are we up to this week?
0: Okay. See, already you're doing a service. Thank you. (laughs) Reorienting me back to what we're here to do. So, all right, we are going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about Wolves of the Kala, uh, Part 1, Toe Dash, Chapter 6, The Way of the Old. And then we'll close out the show with our listener question. So, before we do that, though, DJ, you know the drill. For those who are new here and for those who for some reason forgot, what is our spoiler policy here?
1: Like a train coasting to a stop with children smearing themselves with feces. We will <laughs> draw a line in the ground to let you know when we reach the spoiler zone.
0: <laughs> wow, that is evocative, my friend.
1: <laughs> a lot of poop jokes in this one.
0: Yeah, I, I as we as we um were uh, graced with the first one. I was like, oh, it's a DJ chapter.
1: (laughs) 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 All right, well, before we get into the poop, where did we leave off? Uh, So the gang is wandering over to meet the rest of the group, and we last left them with meeting the robot Andy for the first time, and he is with Bean, and that leads us to this dinner scene or lunch scene, whatever meal this is. Uh, They all sit down, and we kind of get this, like, Picture painted of the society that is this particular set of callas, and I say set of callas because it's not just where they're at. There's also other callas that are associated with it. We get a nice picture painted of the road system that runs between these callas. We get a interesting kind of tidbit about the fact that some of the callas that are adjacent to these folks have steam engine power, and some of them have electricity. And some of them have party zones with uh, <laughs> with naked ladies, um, mm. which you must not mention <laughs> around your wife, lest you be forced to eat her cold slaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. We get some insight into the interaction of the ranchers. And we also got to get this like sort of um farm majestic moment where like Roland kind of reminds people that like when you work all day. You wait for this lat or this meal, and when you're done eating that meal, you remember that meal all day while you finish your work for the day. And it's sort of this uh, farm adjacent thing that I'm used to, being from Nebraska, where like everybody gathers together in a big, not family because none of us were related, but all of us workers gathered together to eat a big meal uh before and after we finished uh uh, all of our irrigation stuff and so it kind of paints that picture um this is not the best meal they ever had eddie kind of holds out for the uh, previous meal before they head into the city of ludd but uh this is a really good meal and we get a description that they've been eating nothing but gunslinger burritos for quite some time and this has made all of them fairly constipated and only able to drop uh, rabbit poops, which uh, if you're not familiar with uh, what a rabbit's uh, droppings look like, um, the joke in the old <laughs> days was, uh, why don't you try this smart pill? Because it's like a perfect little circle. <laughs> and when someone tries the content,
0: it- content you all came here, folks. <laughs> this, is, this is why you're here. <laughs> when someone tries it
1: and they're like, oh, this medicine tastes like shit. And you're like, yeah, you're getting smarter already.
0: Wah, Wait a minute. Wah, wah. Do people actually take it?
1: Uh, that that was a common prank to be pulled in the Midwest, but it's not. But a... it would
0: work. Yeah. Like, uh, people would so actually take it.
1: You, I mean, maybe you put yourself in the incognito mode if you're going to Google this. But <laughs> 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 but like,
0: I mean, go... I, I've known people who have had pet rabbits. I just didn't think anybody would actually think it was a thing and put it in their mouth.
1: Yeah. Uh, in the... In the Midwest, um, if you're out in the country, you live one style of life. And if you're in the city, you live another style of life. And so the kids that grew up in like Lincoln and Omaha have almost zero knowledge of what Uh, happens in the countryside. And sometimes they would move out or would be um, kind of stranded with relatives out in those areas over the summer and end up having to interact with the locals. Uh, so there's a few things, like, have you ever heard of uh, snipe hunting?
0: Yeah. yeah That's so... not a real thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You... That, that prank to me feels like it could work. The rabbit ones, I'm just like, come on, people, common sense.
1: Yeah, you you uh, send folks out into the into the uh, cornfields to hunt for this creature that doesn't exist, and they'll run around screaming and whacking at stuff for- a good 45 minutes. And cornfields are very disorienting and um, somewhat scary in the evenings. So it puts you on edge to run through if you've never been in one before. And it's easy to get hyped up and just go to town. Um, with the uh, rabbit droppings, uh, there's a candy that looks fairly similar to this. Oh, no. Um, it comes in like a yellow, yellow uh, like plastic tube type of thing. And they're like little chocolates that sit on top of each other. And I don't know if you were familiar with those at all. I, I
0: think I know what you're talking about. I don't remember yeah. what the
1: exact brand is, but they look fairly similar. <laughs> and so, you know, be like, "Here, have some of this," and they're just like, "Doop doop doop." Oh, this is gross. Now, please, <laughs> please don't do that because this is a great way to give someone E. coli or any a number Ooh. of other uh, fecal transmitted diseases. So uh, <laughs> this, that that this is episode. what like an eight year old does who doesn't know any better. But it's not a good idea to do so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Public service announcement you are not expecting to receive today. (laughs) Now,
1: one of the things I wanted to stop and talk about and ask you about Mm. while we're talking about these other uh, callas, is they have some specific names. Um, Do those have any merit or note that we should uh, we should take notice of?
0: Mm, I did not think to look them up. I'm sorry. Oh, Dang
1: it. Uh, Listeners out there, if you guys know or have any guesses on what those names might mean or if they're of any significance, (laughs) write us an email because I'm actually interested to know. Um, The other thing that we find out when they're talking about this is one Kala is at the end of the world and the other one's like ending. And these guys all just want to go their own way, which to me sort of makes it sound like the end is coming for all of these Kalas eventually. Uh, but it's starting at one end sort of like the thinny moving forward across the worlds
0: so i think it's more that this is actually interesting i do think we need to talk about this but like that when he's talking about like east and west he's talking about thunder cat clap and midworld
1: oh okay so midworld's already ended and right which is where
0: Roland because we're now in what like end world in world so midworld is the one that's moved on and thunderclap is whatever's going on over there
1: okay, okay so
0: okay so let's let's slow down and talk a little bit about this because i actually think there's some really interesting stuff in this first chapter here for in largely because we get like really excellent and very interesting world building here mm-hmm. with this sort of crest it's called like the great crescent of Callas, right yep so Eddie it begins, as he's talking to them, talking about how he's just sort of struck by how civilized this all is, which kind of could come across as sounding very snobby. But it's actually, you know, if you think about it contextually, it's a totally a understandable response to learning about the Kala. Because it is totally unlike anything else that he's seen since he's come to Roland's world or that Roland has described aside from... Like some of the stuff about Magus, but even then, it felt like a world beginning to be in decline or on the cusp of de- decline. And then everything else that they've seen, like LUD, even River Crossing, is just Entropy City, right? And then they find this place in present day that has functioning farms, communities, a functioning government. It's peaceful, largely peaceful. It's just totally unrecognizable for anything else that we, you know, that we've been told about for five books at this point. So it really is interesting. Um, And like you said, there's miners, there's people who are using steam power and electric power, which if you think back, I mean, that's kind of unbelievable because we hear about spark lights in Gilead, but how it was kind of treated like, um, An ancient sort of technology that had been lost and uh, was considered like an old world thing in Gilead, which was the most sort of advanced place we've heard about so far. But here in the Kala, not only do they still have, they don't call it spark lights, they call it electricity, and they're using it for manufacturing. That's kind of crazy if you think about it like that. So, and and there's that, you said there's that pleasure town, right? So, and they, they have fun rides, which are presumably what, roller coasters? To me, I guess the question is, what does this mean? Like, what does it say about the Kala that here we are on the edge of Thunderclap, which is seemingly kind of like, of all places, would be the most impacted by the world moving on. But this place is just kind of frozen in time.
1: Well, and we even get some measurements um, when he asks about how far each one of those is away um her husband is like busy doing other stuff and at first she's like well this is man's information and then when her husband isn't there to answer she's like well do you do you deal in wheels or do you deal in miles and yeah and and that's an interesting thing too because like yeah miles is a more sophisticated way of measuring than wheels and she when she realized that she's like oh it's about you know 2,000 miles that way and 2,000 miles this way and like that's a lot more information than some of these other civilizations had. And the description, like when Eddie's comparing Lud to here, it's like Lud is a nightmare <laughs> story tale that you tell your kids compared to, to this place. Uh, right. And, and so that just paints the picture again of like how civil this is. Even going into the feather being delivered as a mm-hmm. form of like communication and way for voting – and like yeah. Eddie's like, yeah, I wouldn't work in New York, but that's a pretty great thing to have around here, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think it just sort of begs the question and I don't know that maybe we'll get an answer at some point, but I think it's something we should be thinking about, which is why, why is this place so different than anywhere else?
1: <laughs> and you have a robot that makes you meals? What?
0: Yeah. I don't even have that here. I know. <laughs>
1: Basically, dinner is a quiet sort of thing. There's a few minor conversations, but it's mostly just um, mild descriptions as everybody eats. Um, There's time for eating, and there's time for platter. Uh, Eddie steps away to kind of sneak off into the bushes and do his rough business. (laughs) No, no, not enough rough. Another rough toilet. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, he uh, is about to reach for a plant, and Here's a voice, and it's Andy the robot staring over him, telling him, like, hey, man, you use those leaves, you're going to have a rash on your butt for quite some time, and it'll be very <laughs> unpleasant. And, like, Eddie's like, wait, wait wait a minute. What are you freaking doing, man? You're not supposed to watch people while they, they go number two? This is inappropriate. <laughs> and then he's like, well, uh, what about these leaves? <laughs> and, you know, Andy, because uh, Eddie is using a bits and bobs of slang, Uh, has to click and clack to kind of process what uh, Eddie's asking. And we get this kind of understanding of Andy that he, at first, Eddie sort of feels like, yeah, I'm Eddie, I'm a funny guy, and I make everybody, you know, kind of smile. But, like, he starts to realize that that upper tone in Andy's register almost comes off as, like, a smug, I'm not a human, I'm a robot. And Mm -hmm. we get this emphasized once when, like, He's like, how did you even get in here? You know, there's so much thick underbrush. Uh, something as big as you would make noise. And Andy's like, it's my programming. Beep, boop. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's like, and like, yeah, sure, pal. You're programming. Beep, boop. Got it. Understood. You know, say no more. Yeah. <laughs> week, week, nod, nod. And it's mm-hmm. sort of like a a weird moment where, like, yes. the robot is almost making a joke. But mm. not quite. And And so... You're in this boat where you're wondering whether it's me as a as a person like trying to ascribe human characteristics to a robot or if it's a robot who just simply has human characteristics that are a little harder to uh maneuver because he just has a speaker grill uh delivering mm-hmm. his content. And, and yeah. so that's the first bit we get with Andy there and then it expands when Andy's like, "Well, would you like your horoscope?" and right. Eddie's like, "Ah, yeah, sure. You know why not?" and and uh, uh actually, let me back up before we get to the horoscope. Eddie also asks him, "Like, hey, Andy, you know you're the ones who warned these folks about about the wolves coming, right?" And, and Andy's like, "Yeah," and so and so was so upset about this, mm-hmm,
0: <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and like almost he again raw.
1: says it with like a little bit of joy, like Haha, stupid humans. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, like, Eddie asks him a series of pointed questions that would describe, you know, what's going on over in uh, the the wolf's territory and, like, what this is about and what they do with the kids and so on. And andy switches from, like, a jovial sort of, like, smug robot to almost, like, a police officer. And there's a little diatribe there where Eddie describes a cop in his neighborhood. And this guy, you know, was your buddy – Whenever you uh, weren't into any trouble and there was nothing exciting going on, would chat you up, ask how your family's doing, and so on. But if there was a crime committed and he thought for a second you might be involved in it, the attitude and manner changed to the point where it sounded like he might whack you upside the head at any Mm -hmm. bit of conversation. And that's what Andy's tone sort of switches to. And Andy Mm -hmm. immediately prompts uh, Eddie for a password. And Eddie like kind of tries to lean into a joke about you know um, spies having long code phrases between things, and and uh, this doesn't this doesn't bode well with Andy. He basically makes some like internal clicking noises and like is like time's up. <laughs> that was the wrong yeah. answer. You have one more shot, and uh, Eddie thinks fast and says, "No, I don't. I don't want to waste my second chance." Right. And and so that's a really weird interaction. And then as they're walking away, we get into the fortune portion. And this fortune portion is even weirder because while he was sealed-lipped about this other stuff, as soon as Eddie tells him that he is like a goat with beard, which uh, is probably more meaningful to people who observe astrological signs than it is to me. I was me, wondering
0: if it was Capricorn. Yeah,
1: possibly. I don't know much <laughs> about uh, astrological signs, so I'm at a loss in that category. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when he tells him that, like immediately Andy launches into um, you know, you're gonna go toe-dash with your friends to New York and you'll be uh chasing the dark lady. <laughs> and you know, when you hear the chimes, concentrate on your friends and stay close or you'll be lost. And this is very specific. And it's also very timely and poignant to like what's been going on with the the gang as a whole. And when you hear that you think for a moment like that's very insightful and then you wonder like is all of andy's uh you know fortune telling or or whatever yeah actually really insightful but no one gives a crap or listens to it i think
0: so i think so right because he said little things here and there that has made me think that i can't remember what it was he gave a fortune to tn maybe in the in the prologue where i was like Mm, that sounds accurately prescient yeah. this one is
1: wildly prescient, i wonder though. if like post um post-mortem if you went back to those and like looked at them um if if we could basically you know suss out the former future plot that happens <laughs> I bet. with the characters because that would be interesting and like there's enough weird turns that yeah if you told them what was going to happen like 40 minutes into the future <laughs> It it, w- it would sound strange until it actually happened. So
0: remember this exact sentiment when we get into like section four or five, because I'm going to do that to you. No. <laughs> OK, <laughs> awesome. Well, I yeah. And I think we'll have a test of whether how prescient his or, or like how true his gift is in the next chapter, because he essentially says you're going to go traveling somewhere far away, which we take to mean toe dash. And the next chapter is called toe dash. So I think it's fair to assume that that's, what's going to happen. So I think we should, you know, like you said, like kind of pay attention to the words that he used here and see if they actually really apply to whatever happens in the next chapter. Definitely.
1: The other uh, really um, important thing to mention to you is that when, or when Andy's prompted about like what happened and how this information became private, uh, it's directive 19.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and then you gotta wonder like the wolves of the Kala haven't been around forever you know uh we later find out that the children are delivered by train and they could just count the number of trains to find out about how many times they've visited mm-hmm. uh, because they have to pull the train off the tracks and like chuck it off to the side um so then was andy always this way or when those guys showed up did they program him to be this way uh good
0: question i found this interaction to be fascinating between andy and eddie of course because it's eddie it starts with him pooping (laughs) how else would a conversation with eddie start with that but with a joke right so i think we get some answers that are really interesting but are left with more intriguing questions which i think is true as we move forward throughout this and actually from the very beginning of this chapter this is the like here's a little bit of information, but now here's like five other questions that you have chapter of the book. So Andy, we talked about Andy's projections being eerily good, but I think it's interesting that his knowledge that it's so metaphysical that it's not just like, you will have a good harvest or something like that. Something
1: bland and like sort of generic that can apply to everybody.
0: But he is predicting that Eddie's going to go toe dash. And then when he is, he, the same thing with, um, being able to creep up on him, like his ability to do this, according to Andy, is programming. So my first question is, why would you program a robot to be so stealthy? I don't have the answer for this, but I think it's worthy of asking. Mm -hmm. And why would you program a robot to be able to tell this degree of like sort of fortune telling, essentially? What are the purposes? Because programming, there's intent, right? Like programming doesn't just sort of happen. It doesn't evolve. He's not saying like this is how he specifically says programming. So somebody made him be able to do these things for a desired outcome. And I think that that is worth considering when we're thinking about Andy and just adds to my like, do not trust Andy, that and also these little things about him, the way that he is repeatedly smug in these interactions. And I think what we take away from this is there's some part of him that is disdainful or dislikes humans, even though he's like playing the good sort of um, assistant and servant. Like there, there's actually like an undercurrent of disdain for the people that he's supposedly helping, which is very sinister to me. I know I keep calling him sinister, but that's how I feel about him. And the, the pair, there are parallels here to Blaine that I think are red flags. And Eddie is one of these people who even though he's unsure if what he's seeing is in his head, say what you will about Andy and or Eddie and the the fact that we just met him pooping or experience whatever, um, he actually has a very keen insight into other people. Like all of his interactions with Roland, especially when they were kind of at odds in the wasteland, are evidence that like he is has a good read on people. And I think even though he's unsure. In these interactions with Andy, because we know of his ability to kind of really pick up on like subtleties, mm-hmm. we should trust him would be like, I think that it's easy to dismiss this. But in this case, I think Andy, Eddie is picking, their names need to be more different. I'm having trouble <laughs> here. Eddie is picking up on what's going on with Andy. And the last thing we didn't talk about was in the prediction that he says you're going to meet a dark lady. Which, to me, feels like a reference to the Lady of Shadows. Now, obviously, we have the knowledge as readers that there's this thing going on with Susanna and Mia, right? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't yet. So I guess in that case, Lady of Shadows was Detta O Odetta. O- which makes me wonder if we're going to meet, if Eddie is going to meet Mia and Todash. I don't know. Yeah. I know you can't talk about it because you actually remember things. <laughs> but this is what I was thinking in this part. <laughs>
1: we will find out eventually.
0: Okay, <laughs> all right, fair enough. Fair enough. Um okay, so
1: uh, Eddie gets back to the gang and and basically like tells Roland like, "Hey man, <laughs> this robot knows some stuff." And they kind of get the impression from the group that yeah, um whoever uh, programmed him made him silent on the wolves a long ago. And then we kind of get uh a moment where Roland has to pick someone to kind of explain the goings-on of this whole situation. And he looks to Jafford and, like, skips him and actually goes to Overholster for the question. And you can see that there's, like, a little bit of disappointment that he wasn't Mm -hmm. the one picked to explain this. But instead of Overholster, like, bucking up and being the, like, big farmer rich to explain the story, he kind of stoically sticks his chin out to explain mm-hmm. it in this like it's almost hurts him as much as anything to have to describe what happens to the town people and the mm-hmm. folks, and it's this moment where you think you're gonna hate him, and then you actually end up realizing that like he's more personable than mm-hmm. you would would have thought to begin with, and we yeah. get this little history of like he wasn't always the rich farmer, he was uh he was a twin at one point in his life and his twin was taken and he was Mm -hmm. spared and at that time like had to deal with the ramifications of losing a sibling and then all of the ramifications of the route once they come back so we get this kind of description of how they come in they're able to find a lot of the people that are hiding throughout the town but there are a few that manage to kind of escape or go under the radar and then we find out that there's very specific age ranges at which they're interested in picking up these kids um, there was a set of twins that were only one at the time, so they were spared. But usually five is the range in which they're eligible to be taken by the wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a, a very distinct cutoff uh, for the children. Um, we also kind of find out that uh, uh, when they're taking these guys, they've got drones uh, or buzz balls. And there's a moment in here where uh, Eddie's like, yeah. yeah, the description of this thing with, like, flying cutting implements that come at you is, like, the balls from um, Phantasm. hmm
0: mm-hmm. Which,
1: like, those things are effing scary, let me tell you. Like, yeah,
0: they are! <laughs> like,
1: drilling India and just, like, shooting gore out the other end. Like, probably yeah. one of the, like, most, I guess I shouldn't say most original, but, like, probably the most different thing I had seen growing up in a horror movie. Yeah that like yeah completely... you like
0: leveled up as a horror fan when you saw that as a kid you were like oh yeah you had like shit.
1: hellraiser and that uh-huh. which were like <laughs> yeah! two <that> were, like <laughs> way out in left field from like what mm-hmm. was going on at the time <laughs> and like those are even pre like the thing and stuff and mm-hmm. and probably around the era of the stuff which is also another like wonderfully crazy plot mm-hmm. idea but also really good um yeah and you just can't stop eating it for some reason We also find out that when these children are taken, uh, they are taken by these creatures that um, look like men, but are wearing gray pants that are very tight, almost skin-like in nature. They have these wolf-like masks that look to be metal, but seem to dissolve or rot when they get into sunlight. So weird, yes. We also get a weird clue that all of the horses that they ride are gray. Which yeah, are they like
0: clones?
1: Uh, it's pretty unlikely to have a whole team of gray horses because uh, there is a thing called a, a Punnett square, <laughs> and as you breed animals, there's bound to be at least a handful that are not like the others, regardless. Right, of... recessive genes all up in the mix. Mm-hmm. Put that red mm-hmm. flower and that green flower together, and you end up with a yellow one for some reason. Who knows why? Um, and then we kind of also get this picture painted of how they are returned um they only keep the kids for uh you know three four maybe six weeks and then they send them back on a train across the plains and because they can't determine how fast the train travels they have really no clue of how long it takes them to get there and no way to calculate the distance which Roland agrees like that isn't a helpful clue um, they are also stocked with provisions, but these ruined children, um, one of the descriptions is like a five-year-old who has just learned to gather up his words loses them all
0: and mm-hmm. is back
1: to a diaper. And when they're describing the kids coming back, the provisions are sometimes, you know, food fought and there's they're, – these guys are needing diapers And if the weather or temperature is in a bad way, they'll have a bit of exposure from the ride on the train. And when the train Mm -hmm. finally gets there, they unload the kids and basically have to just drag the train off the tracks and chuck it off to the side, as I mentioned before, which is interesting because when we get a description of some of the other areas and they do have uh, finer tools like steam engines and powered electrical devices, you almost wonder why they need a team of horses and why they couldn't have one of those other things involved. But we don't quite know yet how the trading system works and mm-hmm. why these guys are more of an agrarian farming community versus yeah. what the other Kalas have and can do. Um, mm-hmm. So that one's probably something we'll find out later. Uh, the other thing of note is, is, that, uh, is that these kids don't start off as giants when they come back. Ooh. There's like a few really sad moments. So the kids that were really young and were just starting to become uh people are are less affected because the loss is not very much, but the ones that are on the older edge of the spectrum like 10ish or so mm-hmm. um they're they're ruined, but they vaguely know and remember what it was like to not be ruined. And have yeah. like a lurking um, horror of what they are now in their mind, and that leads yeah. to a lot of late later life suicides, as well as them just like staring off into the distance in this sad way awful, um, awful. We also find out that these kids basically if you 're really lucky they 're they 're smart enough to obey commands, and if mm-hmm. they 're not, they just kind of babble at each other and wander about and. That explains why, when the gang or when they were talking about the town um uh to go to the meeting, there were people that were just like hanging out in front of shops and stuff those ruined people were probably not of enough uh wherewithal to be used in like farm work or anything of that nature uh The other thing we find out, which is horrifying, is horrifying is that the transition from small child to these muscular giant creatures uh is done really fast and in an extremely painful manner to the point where you could lay your head on the forehead of one of these children and hear it cracking and groaning Ugh. as it's expanding Ugh. and the kids scream for 9 10 11 days at a time as this happens and when it's being described, they describe it stoically, but you can see the burning nature of this in the hearts and eyes of the people that are experiencing this conversation. Yeah. There is nothing at all nice about the Mm -hmm. way this expansion happens. And Mm -hmm. when they finally get to that full size, the pain subsides and now there are these monstrous, uh, oafs of folks that are you know maybe not good for anything at all um and then the horror continues because we find out too that they do not live a a normal length of human life um they are these muscular um monstrosities for a brief period of time maybe into their 30s at most and then they rapidly age and the lucky ones die in their sleep but the unlucky ones end up with sores and tumors and all kinds mm-hmm. of things to the point where Eddie kind of speculates that uh, m- maybe maybe yeah. somebody's slipping some stuff into their tea just to help them pass. Well, I think leisure. he thinks
0: it's. Uh, I mean, I think probably he. Pro- he there's some mercy kills, but he kind of speculates that it's some sort of like rapidly growing cancer. Yeah. Ooh
1: yeah it's it's dark um we also get a little more description of some of the weapons that they have, like uh buzz sticks that will fry a man in his yeah. place and stop his heart um and basically like a whole array of superior weapons that these guys can bring to bear these guys as they're explaining like how dangerous the weapons and stuff they have um they're starting to doubt that these guys are legit gunslingers or would even have the ability to uh stand up to these folks and like he he mentions like kind of as a rude statement like you only got three fingers and that one's like my boy's age and that one that one doesn't have any legs what about this guy you know it's like it's a very poignant like i never heard of that uh i don't have any books around but you know that's not how i was taught gunslingers were And so it's, it's kind of a moment where there's the challenge and, and Roland like kind of irritated is like, this always happens, you know, like we come to save the day and first they want proof that we're capable of saving the day Mm -hmm. (laughs) where they didn't have any hope before. Now they have a little hope, but now they want want references,
0: references, (laughs) people passed them (laughs) to tell them how good they are at stuff, you know? Uh, all right. Well, before we get into that proof, yep. let's look back up because there's actually, I think, uh, there's a few things in here I want to talk about. We covered a lot of ground, and I think there's some really cool, subtle things that are in these these two sections, sections three and four. So, first of all, when Eddie first comes over and talks to Roland, he tells him, you know, what what Eddie or what Andy said, and Roland kind of reacts to the whole reference of nineteen. What does he say? Directive 19. He kind of lifts his eyebrows at the Directive 19. And up until this point, Roland has been very dismissive of this obsession that his content has with the 19. This, I wondered, is the first sign of him being like, hmm, there's something here. Um, Like these coincidences are maybe stacking up to a point where he can no longer ignore them. I don't know. But I thought it was interesting that he noted his reaction to it. But obviously the biggest thing that we find out about in this first section is just sort of this horror of what's happening to these kids like this is where it's like okay Stephen King you are like in the pocket you know what you're doing <laughs> because the body horror, despite he finds the most w- effective and exquisitely painful ways to describe the the body horror in this section where the whispering of the bones expanding and the screaming and like how you can put your 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 ear to their chest and you just hear it like mm-hmm. basically like like breaking ice inside of them. And I just think it really, this section does a really good job of driving home the horror of what these people and these parents are facing, that it's not just the loss of the children that they're about to experience, but when they come and, and that they'll come back sort of changed, but they are going to undergo this absolutely monstrous and crushing Transfer, like physical transformation and i think it gets at not just the personal trauma of these children but this is where we really start to see firsthand sort of the community trauma that is taking place because of whatever is happening with these wolves and i, I also think it's kind of interesting that it's such a like a werewolfy thing to do like if you think about like werewolf transformations and like the breaking of the bones and oh the cratty, yeah yeah you're right like I was thinking I mean I don't know that it's specifically that but I do think it's interesting that they're afraid of the wolves and they the, when they come back these kids are transforming and something that if you've seen you know uh, American werewolf wolf, and, werewolf in Lund, yeah. you're this it's you can you can hear those bones cracking and imagine the horror of that kind of transformation mm-hmm. um so this they send the kids back on trains which I think is interesting obviously they're all triggered by trains because of their personal experience with Blaine. But to me, I was just like, they have infrastructure to send these kids back. Not only are they sending them back after doing whatever is happening at Thunderclap, they're sending them back with food. Yes, which I think is interesting, and I I found myself wondering why. Like you've whatever you've done to these kids is changed them. You've kidnapped them. Why send them back, and why make sure that they have supplies to? you know, increase the odds vastly that they're going to make it home. Okay. Is it just to keep the kids on the train? Is it, what is the purpose of this? I mean, is the point of it, why send the kids back at all? I guess is an even larger question. Is it about giving the parents hope that their kid will return? Is it about burdening these entire communities with like a large population of people who are going to need very intensive care I, I feel like there's there is some sort of reason for this, like a deeper reason for why they're sending the kids back. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if you can even talk oh, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so this one's an actually an easy one. It paints a picture of the people that are coming to take these children, that they have a very specific reason for taking them. Mm-hmm. But as with any um, science experiment, so to speak, uh, scientists aren't inherently murderers, but the things that they create... <laughs> may in fact murder harm so So you
0: think science is happening because this feels very unnatural and magic to me i mean
1: yeah but like okay so let's back up and get a description of the weapons so we got drones which are flying things which take maintenance we got electrical batons that basically stop people's heart and burn their bodies um we have got other weapons and mechanisms that seem um They seem okay. So there's an old saying that says, like, sufficient science is enough to appear to magic, uh, appear as magic to someone Mm -hmm. without said science. And like, that's the level that we're comparing these two uh, societies to, because these guys are just, you know, uh, farmers. They don't know much about anything, you know, a buzz ball or, a, you right. know, a, a drone like he even uh, attempts to say atomic, but fails at the pronunciation, yeah. but understands that there is something that, you know, used to be space age ish about atomic things. And, and so these guys that are attacking like it feels pretty strongly to me like mm. they just have mm-hmm. a more advanced technology. But them sending the kids back means that the individuals that are capturing them are capturing them for a reason, but they themselves aren't necessarily murderers and still have, like, human levels of operation. Oh, you
0: think? Oh, see, I was like, it's so much crueler just to to send them back the way that they do and to have to make you... Watch your sibling or your child suffer. See, it's so much crueler than just taking them.
1: I, that, and you know, I can't remember for sure, so that might be the case, but <laughs> fair.
0: Uh, <laughs> but
1: the way this sort of feels to me and the way it foreshadows is more like the guy who invented the nuclear bomb and then realized that uh, his yeah. bomb was going to get dropped on a city full of people and they were going to melt away. Like, he had the intention of his work focus only, but he wasn't necessarily on board with, like, the post-use of said work. And in a lot of science stories, you get this point where, like, the thing the scientist does is bad, but it's not because the scientist had intentions of being evil. It's because the scientist was focused on whatever his goal was to no end. And then ancillarily it caused damage, but he himself wasn't specifically out to damage anything in particular. And you get this with like, um, let's see, an easy one is like uh, Frankenstein. Like, you know, yeah, he, he's so obsessed with the thing that he works on it and works on it to the detriment of whoever doesn't care. And then he creates this thing and like now it lives in a suffering world and hates itself and yeah. the next time he has to do this work it's horrible or or you know like uh um the the travel between space with jeff goldblum and the fly like he never intended to do anything bad or damage anybody but like right. in the end so you
0: think that this is proof of like some degree of uh humanity conscience yep yeah or interesting see i was like wow this is how you burden a community and make sure that they remain docile because how do you even like manage to pull together any sort of defense if like all of your time is taking you know taken with just trying to like stay afloat and also everybody is a caregiver in the community yeah and that that could be true too um and also just like the living with the horror of what the power like it's like they they have the power to do whatever they have done that is a constant reminder of the overwhelming strength that whoever it is that is doing this has to me i feel like it's like a it's like psychological warfare but then you know it could very well be that it is somebody who has subconscious i don't know yeah, i, I don't, guess we'll I don't find don't out remember, <laughs>
1: so i can't say which one's right i i just uh, came up with an elaborate theory in my mind and thought it sounded good i
0: like it I like it. Okay, well, that that's that's that'll lead into something that I want to talk about in a minute here. But first, I just last detail about the root children is we also learn that they like lose all sexual function. But the way it's described by the um, people of the Kala is they say that they cannot mate, which is a very intentional word choice, in my opinion. I think it is another insight into how they see these children who've returned. You know, you don't talk about people mating. You talk about animals mating. And so you do get the sense that these people in this community who have this, like, very intense trauma think of these, the root children as subhuman, which is pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. And I mean, just like, oh, I can't. I just, if you think about just the emotional toll of this, it's very intense. It's very intense. Um. Okay. So now, let's tinfoil hat. You ready? Okay. <laughs> okay. So. When was the last time you think we talked about Tahines in the story?
1: Um, well, Roland mentions Tahines when they're discussing uh people to talk to and and Roland says like and don't worry, I know the tahines. Um I have talked with the before and it's fine. Okay, that's
0: the Manny. That's oh, the Oh, is mani. the Manny? Okay. Yes. Then. So when was the last time you think we actually referenced the tahine, which are the like bir- the bird people? Oh
1: shoot. Um it's been like a book or more ago, right? When they were the talking last time- about the okay. plumbobs and like Walking through what, the
0: manny again. Oh,
1: damn it. it! Okay, so is it all the way back to like the crow and the dude in the
0: shack? It was book one. Really? Yeah. So it was okay. <laughs> yep. All right. Yep. So. And I know because I went back and did a word search in every book. Yeah. <laughs> and what I found, I think is kind of interesting. So the last time there was teen was referenced was not that old not the guy with the crow at the very, very, very beginning. it came up one more time in that book. and it's under the way station when Roland is speaking to the speaking demon that sounds like Alice when he and he gets the jawbone. And what she says to him is, go slow, a dragging, clotted voice said from within the wall. Go slow past the drawers, gunslinger. Watch out for the tahine. While you travel with the boy, the man in black travels with your soul in his back pocket. So at the time, we had some pretty strong opinions about what this meant. And I think we weren't wrong, but I think this this book even though maybe it was not intended when that was originally written, (laughs) um, now can reflect back on that sort of like prophecy, right? So we kind of were like, well, we didn't know what the purpose of the tahine was. We're like, well, maybe it's because he like saw the tahine or whatever. I don't know. Um, But this is definitely about the fact that as long as Roland has Jake with him, the man in black has really powerful leverage. And then that was proven wrong when he let Jake fall. But he now has the boy with him again. And here he is. We He's gone past. The drawers are sort of like a wasteland, right? Um, at, that we learned from the use of that word from from O Odetta,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And so you would think, oh, the wasteland, we're already through that. But if they're heading into Thunderclap, I think you could argue that that is the drawers as well. So, and this time, all the pieces of the puzzle are here, if that's the case. We have the drawers, we have the tahin, because we've had them and vampires referenced as being out here in the East. And we have Jake with Roland again. So, I don't know what this means, but I do feel like it's a little bit of a harbinger of what is to come. I don't know I think we should pay attention to this okay this feels and this feels this feels big this feels important yeah this I did something I mean <laughs> I keep
1: mixing the two up so I apparently like, right <laughs> I just picture everybody is having bird heads and like okay so bobs.
0: Manny starts with M-A-N and those are people and then the teen sound like they would be an exotic bird and they're the bird <laughs> does that help <laughs> nailed it <laughs> so i don't know any thoughts about this uh prophecy potentially becoming true now
1: i mean this is where we're to the point where stephen king finally like perked up and was like i need to finish this stuff i might die soon mm-hmm. and so yeah you know if we go from that mindset yeah sure like that makes perfect sense if i were mm-hmm. stephen king and i were to like try and retackle this i would go back through all my books first and like suss out mm-hmm. any of the little bits that i thought i wrote that were cool
0: little threads he had
1: dropped he's like time to pick those up yep and gather them up into a ball and like roll them back out somewhere and look at them and then see how you could shove them into the next puzzle and yeah
0: and so yeah i i agree that could be totally important okay and then last thing for the section before we move on to the the final section is just there's this really i don't know kind of fun little throwaway moment here where slightman in the lead up to being like you know we we didn't have books. I don't know about gunslinger. Sure, we've had t- heard tales told of them, but you know, how do I know you're a real gunslinger? And he talks about like sort of the legendary references that he grew up hearing and he refers specifically to the to Jericho Hill. And so I just thought it was kind of a fun throwaway moment where he doesn't even realize it, but these like legends that he's talking about are literally referring to Roland. Not just where he's from or his kingdom, but like something he did. Like this legendary the man thing is in front of you. Gunslinger did
1: and it was actually the gunslinger you were talking to.
0: Correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's what I got
1: for this section. All right. Uh, so finally, we get to the point where like they basically have to show off. Um, and Roland basically calls Jake over and at the moment he calls him over, Jake is sitting with the other kid. Um, had been playing with some, some stuff and like running around and like showing off. And this, this moment Roland realizes that he was about Jake's age when he had to have his coming of age moment. And Mm -hmm. as soon as this thing happens that they're going to do, Roland realizes that he's kind of broken the relationship between these two boys because, At the moment, them hanging out, they're peers. Yeah. But once this boy sees what Jake is capable of, the relationship fundamentals will change because he'll no longer be a peer. He'll be something that the kid either is afraid of or aspires to be or is in awe of or what have you. And that takes this from like normal kid interaction to a different thing, which also... means basically that jake can't have a normal kid life interaction with this this one last chance with a kid his own age to do that sort of thing and basically this is like sort of roland saying like this is probably jake's last chance to do this before he sees manhood and and then that's Mm -hmm. it you know
0: yeah (laughs) i mean i think it's it's also one of those things where once that kid sees what he's capable of like there's just no kind of coming back back from that that, like yeah he's no longer like you said they're no longer peers and there's like a special bond that kids have that once they know what jake is capable of it makes it hard to impossible to go back yeah. Um, Although I kind of feel like that kid's gonna be like, "That guy's so cool," <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Stephen King says otherwise, so he would know it's his
1: world. So as Roland calls him over, uh, he has Jake recite the, you know, uh, "I shoot with my heart," and uh, you know, "I I uh, remember the face of my father," or those who haven't forgotten the face of their father, and so on. And as he's chanting this, um, w- one of the group's uh, overhoster stands up and is about to say something. Roland like shushes him. Or not, uh-huh. Roland. Uh, um, excuse me. Uh, Susanna. Susanna sh- shushes him,
0: mm-hmm. and like this is a great moment. It mm-hmm. doesn't even
1: distract Jake, and he calls uh, a- uh Andy over, and Andy over brings some plates, and and uh, Roland says like, when gunslingers around, things get broken. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And and like, (laughs) Roland's got all the best lines this book between the like, we deal in lead, and then when gunslingers are around, things get broken. I'm just like, all right, Roland. Yeah. And that
1: puts like a a heavy note in the air. And Mm -hmm. the rest of the gang comes to Roland's side. And as the plates go up into the air while Jake's chanting, Jake shoots them all perfectly. The pieces fly into the air. And the gang, without even having to, have Roland's instruction capture these shards of plates in their hand. Now, interestingly, Eddie catches the least. Uh, Susanna catches the next amount, and she has a little cut on her finger. And Roland uh-huh. catches the most. And of
0: course, even with missing fingers, yeah, no exactly. Still and s- he's the biggest bamf in there. And
1: so, I-, I think in sort of a subtle way, this is Stephen King telling us like where each of these. Uh, are at skill wise gunslinger wise mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. sort of a subtle mm-hmm. note that like while Susanna's got some craziness going on she is still probably the best protege of Roland's skill set because of her you know dueling personality is giving her more of a gunslinger attitude
0: oh interesting. whereas
1: Eddie is like still a little bit goofy offy and mm-hmm. that goof offery um is Cuffery. is like <laughs> reflective in his training and his level of skill comparatively to the others um mm-hmm. which that's my take on it but you know
0: i think there's some validity to that for sure i think that's what, i mean i was i definitely w- noticed the thing about her cutting her finger and i was kind of like Is this a reference to the first special plates thing? Didn't she like cut her hand on a first special plate? I don't know. Or it could be like maybe she's not a hundred percent in the game because whatever's happening internally with the Mia thing. Mm -hmm. Like normally she would have been the most, you know, second to Roland in terms of his ability to grab stuff out of the air. But her focus isn't a hundred percent there because she's not a hundred percent herself. I don't know. I could be reading way too much into the bloody finger, but I'm. Eh, it stood out to me.
1: Yeah, I thought that one was still poignant to to point mm-hmm. out. Um, what it means, I don't know for sure. Um, yeah, but uh, th- then the other other thing is like, so they catch all these plates. Uh, they've caught enough pieces to basically make one plate again, which is, yeah, uh, kind of interesting. And I, I thought sort of symbolic to say like, you know, we've all become one. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Uh huh. Uh um, huh. And then the other thing that we note is like, and, and I should have, I save this to the end, even though like the description is in in section one of this chapter. But mm-hmm. Callahan at the beginning of the meal goes off and sits by himself.
0: Yeah, and
1: eats by himself and gets a very small, like minimalist portion.
0: Uh huh. And
1: that minimalist portion and that sitting by himself, like Eddie hasn't known the guy long enough to know. Uh, where that stands as far as his attitude and mentality but if you had to guess either he was upset that uh, overholster stole his thunder and telling the stories or he was just a loner who, who stuck to himself and if he had to guess it'd be the second one and that sort of stands out here because he is still off and away but takes takes awe at the moment they do this and is like, holy crap, this is like some kind of, you know, western gun trick. And Roland like, kind of looks at him and is like, this ain't no trick, buddy. This is, this is the way of the eld, you know?
0: I do love that moment where Susanna tells Overholzer to shut up, and he does. (laughs) Because it's two things happening. For one thing, she's like shedding her role, because she's been pretending to be like meek, and we've seen that that was the right way to call, or the right call, because uh Tien's wife, Zalia, has to like pretend or she is behaves in a meek way. Like it's very clear that that is the culture there. So I guess despite all the steam power in the neighboring cola, not so progressive in this part of this world. <laughs> but I also think that underlines when it's she tells him to shut up, and he does, like Mr. Big Farmer in town, you know, without argument, he just it just shuts him down. It it kind of shows you kind of the gunslinger vibe that she's exuding right that she has such a commanding presence that she can with one word actually effectively shut him down without any grumbling or anything so i i did really like that moment in this section i think roland is continuing to show what a master of manipulation he is by when he has to show you know proof of who they are he selects jake to be the example because you know in the eyes of the people of that community he would Probably be the least likely to have skills. So if his skills are at this level. What does it say about the rest of them? Uh, and and again. I think this is like a very effective. Use of Roland's manipulation skills. Because it shuts him up. Uh, so they, yeah. they
1: do this. Uh, this dog and pony show. And then. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically. Overholster is like. Well that was pretty amazing. But like you're going to have to convince these other people. And Roland's like I don't think he still understands that we have been set in motion and and what you come to realize is that it's not the town's choice to choose the gunslingers or not choose the gunslingers it's actually the gunslingers choice to take up a cause that is good or not to take up the cause Mm -hmm. and so as they accept this challenge It's them accepting it. It's not the townspeople asking for it. And once they accept it, there's no turning back. There's no convincing. But Roland kind of lets him explain, you know, um, that there's this guy who gave up most of his land to his kids uh, or to these younger kids. And that those two managed to to be twins that stayed together because uh, they were – they were young enough that they weren't taken, but he still is a pretty trig guy and you're going to have to convince this other guy. And Roland's like,
0: well, no, no, nah, <laughs> we
1: just need to see the lay of the land yeah. and what's going on. We need to look around for a few days. We have 27 days. Oh wait, nope, we have 26 days now.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and,
1: uh-huh. uh, we need to, uh, see what we can do. And once we've looked around, um, we're going to want you to go out with the feather and collect everybody and we're going to need some of your men and uh overholster's like whoa whoa wait wait we're, we're not far forming an army and right. roland's like nah dude we're gunslingers man you saw
0: right. those plates we might need like two people <laughs> yeah we're gonna need
1: a couple of you we'll, if we have to create a trap or do some kind of clever thing um well we might need more of you to help build or assist, assess that but after that it will only need a you know a couple of you guys to help us um and that's about it and that kind of puts him at, at ease but it also like puts him on edge and then there's sort of this like fight to get them to stay with one person or another like you could stay with me oh we have a nice house it's a little small but i surely will show you a good time you know <laughs> and like roland like kind of lets that wash over him and is like hey call hand you loner you got a you got a house to go along with that church and <laughs> Callahan's call hands like yeah he's like, I think we're staying with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and then we'll, you know, once we're done seeing how nice this church is, we can go assess or we'll put ourselves onto the town to to stay wherever. And, and that moment I thought was pretty, pretty trig because it's like.
0: It was pretty trig. <laughs> because like, you
1: know, like, you, you know. I do bang. The secret, Whatever the hell. <laughs> yeah. The secret between the two of these guys is widened right out in the open, but also like uh, concealed in this moment. And it also like kind of makes sense to the townsfolk because they do know that this pasture is one of, of uh one of the call of New York, so to speak. And mm-hmm. we, we get a moment there where um, the overholster and the group are like, you know, pray to the gods or what have you. And, and, and Callahan's like, I don't know. I got here after you, so I don't know about those other gods. But just know that there's only one for me. Right. <laughs>
0: We're like, all right, we get it, we got it. Yes. And, and so, God. like,
1: you get this moment, and then uh, uh, Roland stands up and like has a pain in his hip, which mm-hmm. uh, you know is also interesting. And as mm-hmm. they're walking off, you get the the great line: um, "There be water if God wills it." <laughs>
0: yeah like I said, Roland is bringing the like great like the the line thunder of this book. he really I feel like King has really just like fallen into Roland's voice in a way that with this book that I'm really enjoying
1: there's also um and let me say this and then see if it needs to be cut um is okay. there a moment in here where uh uh Callahan talks about vampires
0: yes, yes so that's it's with when he's talking about the tahine. He basically they're they're talking about the creatures in the east, and they mention vampires and tahine, and and like in case Roland is skeptical about vampires, which I don't even think he would be because
1: yeah, he actually you know, asks Roland's like why would shit. you think I I doubt you?
0: Yeah, but I think you know because of Callahan's past in Jerusalem's lot and his situation with Barlow, like, he's just like, no, vampires are very real. Let me assure you, they are real. And then, like you said, Roland's like, who's doubting you? <laughs> no one's doubting you. Calm down, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, so I do... The other thing about... I don't really have a ton to say about this section that we haven't already touched on, except for that I do kind of like how... His plan essentially to go in and just observe the town is very reminiscent of the tactic that he had when in uh, Wizard and Glass, where him and his original quartet are just like, All right, we're just going to go into this town. We're going to, you know, check things out, check out the lay of the land, observe, talk to people. This time it's not a covert sort of mission, mm-hmm. but it is in keeping with something that we've seen Roland do before. So I don't know. It's just like good parallels or callbacks to something that we know about roland hopefully it goes a little better for them (laughs) (laughs) than it did for the original content but although i would not mind another like sneak up shootout situation because that was really awesome in wizarding glass all right so that's kind of it for this chapter what did you think uh, of this and the story so far i
1: mean we got a lot of interesting hints and a lot of world building that we have not gotten quite yet um the early entry into this area was just farmlands and like kind of crummy uh farm plots that weren't doing as well and people were working hard on and now we have like an expansive world that still has good roads and Uh, river travel Mm -hmm. that goes up and down the river that flows you know from one direction to the other uh we have towns that you could go visit if you wanted to and do other things and we have the end of the world one direction and someone fighting the end of the world the other direction which is like Mm -hmm. uh an extra bit of suspense and we got andy the robot in the middle futzing about making beans so
0: (laughs) overall i thought it was pretty
1: good um more poop jokes and less action but still that's kind of funny uh what about you Rachel
0: (laughs) well you know I loved this section of course I loved this section it's like all world building and it's so mysterious right like I said in section one this is all about giving you information that you've been wanting and leaving you with five new questions that you're desperate for an answer for and like I love that. I love a building story. I love the, when it's mysterious like this, rarely do the explanations ever live up to the, uh, you know, the, the mystery, but right now this is like the sweet spot for me. I love it. I think I'm totally fascinated by the idea that there's this sort of crescent, this like crescent of, um, of civilization that is sort of untouched by the brokenness mm-hmm. of the rest of the world. And yet it is on the cusp of like the darkest and most evil place that we've been so far. Well, I mean the wasteland's pretty fucked. But you know what I mean? Like it's thunderclap. We've been warned about thunderclap. Yeah. So you would think that this place would be in the worst shape, but and yet it's the best. Why? Why? It's just I find this section to be incredibly intriguing. I think there's great character moments. Um I think yeah, I just think this is a really great, I really enjoyed this this chapter. I'm very excited about where this book is headed. I feel like, like you said, Stephen King has kind of like, he's gathering all these threads together. And he has a very clear idea of where he's going. And you can feel that sort of intention in this. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure how I felt about it in the previous chapters quite as much. But in this one, I was kind of like, okay, I'm ready to like get on board and go and and get into this mystery. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm excited to see what happens next.
1: Speaking of awesome. what's next, what's on the agenda for um, next round?
0: Look at that transition. I'm so impressed. <laughs> All right. So next time we are going to be reading chapter six, Toe Dash, sections one through eight. So we're just going to read the first, the long chapter. So we're just going to read the first half. So sections one through eight is what we'll be covering on the next episode. So that just leaves our listener feedback and Facebook question. And I asked last time and on the Facebook, uh, we're going to do another dream casting because it's like my favorite. Uh, And this time we're going to be dream casting Dwayne D. Overholzer. We've had a couple, sorry, Dwayne D. Overholzer. We've had a couple chapters with him now. I feel like we've seen different shades of him. So you kind of know like he has to be someone who can, Pull off being like the big guy in town, but also be warm enough that you like him and to underneath sort of like his privileged, you know, bossy attitude that have a heart there. So like, he's actually a pretty complex character considering we haven't had that much time with him yet. So I want to know, do you have someone in mind or would you like me to start with the listeners?
1: I'll let you start because I'm trying to find the guy's name and it's okay. not coming up.
0: Okay, well, we'll start with the listeners and then we'll circle back to ours at the end. All right, so first up, who knows, and maybe somebody will have your your idea too. So first up, Sheldon says his pick for Overholzer would be Sam Elliott. He's got the voice and the acting chops to pull off Cy Overholzer's character perfectly, in my opinion. So I'm watching – I'm in the midst of a movie with Sam Elliott right now, which makes me want to agree with Sheldon, and it's called The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds super goofy and, like, the poster looks super goofy, but is actually this, like, really kind of amazing emotional story about – it's like a period piece and, like, killing Hitler and, like, what – being an assassin does to you and the things that you do in the time of war but then also it's about like you know aging and finding your place in your, in the world as an older person and then also bigfoot so <laughs> it is a real mix of things and is way better than you would think based on that name but he's really 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 great in it so um, that's my weird plug for that movie. And I agree, Sheldon Sam Elliott would be great. I mean, I love Sam Elliott. He can do pretty much whatever he wants, and I'm like, yes. All right. So James has three choices, all of which I think are very different takes on the character. Uh the first one is Kevin Costner, hmm. which he I feel like he's reached that phase in his career and he's got like that whole Yellowstone vibe now. So I could see that. Like not not Waterworld Kevin Costner, but Yellowstone Kevin Costner, I could see yeah
1: rugged rugged older man
0: he's not very warm though no so that yeah and so and i I think uh
1: when you say warm like i i think you will find that my my pick is a little warmer
0: okay okay i'm excited okay all right so his next pick i think is the total opposite of that and is like very warm and that is tom hanks what i mean like he's an elder statesman at this point i could see maybe i don't know what do you think i don't know
1: tom hanks is like one of those guys that i have trouble divorcing his personal life from his work life and so whenever i see him i kind of think like "Hmm, eats placenta
0: does he eat placenta yeah he's tom hanks america's
1: dad no i'm thinking i thought you said tom cruise i'm sorry
0: oh (laughs)
1: I totally thought you said Tom I was Cruise. like,
0: I was a kind of shocked because I feel like Tom Hanks is like the one person no nomad- everyone likes. Like oh, he's yeah. like the Dolly Parton of like he's like Dolly. The Parton, only thing like, you can't matter. like
1: about Tom Hanks is his son.
0: Well, <laughs> the sins of the son, right? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think that's like a totally like he has gravitas, he has warmth. Like I'm trying to see, I'm trying to imagine a situation where you would have a moment where you didn't like Tom Hanks he's just so goddamn lovable. Um okay, and then his last pick is Harrison Ford, which man, he's got the gruffness. Yeah, I don't
1: disagree with Harrison Ford. Um I
0: think that's actually the best one of the three. The
1: problem with Harrison Ford is like because he's a taller, slimmer dude. Um mm. he
0: he doesn't quite portray- You want you want a little more chonk. Yeah,
1: you want someone that like because this is a guy who like worked hard his whole life and has now gotten to like a comfortable life. And doesn't want that mm-hmm. to be disturbed and like harrison ford like even to this day still looks a little like uh the, the machinist raggedy like you know
0: oh god what
1: <laughs> i mean like more gristly and hard work than like uh soft from like finally reaching
0: the pinnacle of of uh yeah. your monies yeah yeah okay so john Actually, my first pick pick—well, not my first pick, but the pick I had until it was replaced with someone else who I who I like even more. So I, I like 99.99% agree with this just right off the bat. He says, I know he's passed, but uh, I still think he'd be perfect. I have chosen Anthony Wilf- Wilford Brimley. Mm-hmm. So Wilford Brimley is what most people let me. So he was in the thing. He was like really scary in the thing oh yeah um, yeah
1: um cocoon. yeah that actually leans in on the direction i was kind of considering going
0: okay all right so you're, you're on board with wilford Brimley? i think that's a good choice because he he is kind of like what you imagine sort of like a a fat cat right like the local fat cat would look like but then also there's like a like grandfatherly warmth to him when he wants to have it or he could be terrifying if he wants to god the thing so scary in the thing yep and the mustache And the mustache—he got them, them whiskers. Um. Okay. So William agrees with Sheldon. He says, "Gotta say, Sam Elliott." And I think we have agreed that that would be a good choice. So Tim says, "My first instinct is Kevin Costner." The Power of Yellowstone. I swear to God, everybody's on the Kevin Costner train. (laughs) Also, I did. I also used a picture of Kevin Costner for this question (laughs) because I just put in like rich rancher and I and it was a picture of Kevin Costner in Yellowstone. Yep. um uh but sam elliot is his ne- uh, he's okay oh he actually has some interesting choices so his next one is sam elliot so that's vote number three for sam elliot mm-hmm. his next one i think actually is really interesting uh is jeff bridges. bridges he was the dude oh yeah that's a good one and he has like kind of that like sort of old westerny vibe
1: yeah uh he's definitely done some cowboy
0: stuff right like yes uh, oh yeah for sure
1: 100 sure i've seen him in in multiple cowboy movies
0: yeah i can't off the top of my head but yeah i mean i me too i can totally picture he's got to be in some sort of like tombstone-y kind of thing right oh yeah yeah so yeah i think that i really love jeff bridges so that's a great choice and then he has a total wild card with this last one but i'm kind of into it his last one is Edward James Olmos would be prime contender. Edward So he was in did you watch um Oh god, what was that show where the aliens pretend to be people but the robot Battlestar Galactica. Oh.
1: The original he or, was, or the he was he the the newer the new one, one. Okay. the one that
0: came out like fifteen years ago. Now, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, the new one from a decade and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, he was Commander Adama.
1: No, he wasn't Adama. He was the other guy, right? Because he's is... no,
0: he was Adama.
1: I thought Adama was the guy that ends up with like one eye and like r- leads an insurrection.
0: No, that's the, uh... Saul. God, why is it still in my head? Because <laughs> he was the salty sea dog, and then he ends up with an eye patch. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I could see him doing it. Um, yeah, he's definitely got like a, a westerny vibe mm-hmm. that also feels like a, a little like um, Spanish heritage that would like kind of fit into the
0: college vibe. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So the last one comes from Samantha, and she says, "And this is an actor who, like, it's a blanket yes for me at all times, at any age." Kurt Russell
1: well so it's funny because i always when i see jeff bridges get him confused with kurt russell when they both have beards because like they look really similar to each other
0: so like the whole time <laughs> yep, yep. like,
1: gardening in the galaxy when he's the dad i was like oh jeff bridges is in this i'm like wait nope that's wrong
0: <laughs> right i mean they they're a kind of genre of dude yeah yeah for sure mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but
1: I think those either one of those two uh, are like
0: mm-hmm. trans
1: transplaceable. So yeah,
0: yeah, Seems reasonable. I mean, yeah, and I think like current day Kurt Russell is kind of perfect because like he kind of has a like he was in the Santa Chronicles, so he has like that twinkly blue eye thing mm-hmm. and is lovable, but also like if you think about him and he he also looks kind of like he fits physically the description right like he still looks like he's a strong healthy older dude but also is not like a hard body he's kind of perfect actually (laughs) not a hard body you know what i mean like he's got like uh, no you know what i mean like he that that's it sounds mean i don't mean it to be mean i mean what i'm saying is he's like a dude that's like in his like probably 70s 60s 70s but he still looks really healthy but he he looks like a person and not like a pretend like a You're i don't not know like a
1: unachievable. The caffeine
0: worn up. yes like a ridiculous he's not on human growth hormone essentially <laughs> like it's what i'm saying <laughs> anyway <laughs> you made me say it um okay so those are our amazing listener feedback i i love all of these suggestions there's some really interesting wild cards in here i had not thought of edward james almost that's really good i think sam elliott's a great one great calls across the board um, really different takes too because I feel like what we learn with these castings and this one is a perfect example of that is how different we all kind of imagine these characters in our own sort of head canon. and it's fun to find out how other people see these characters and compare them to like what's in my head Um, speaking of which DJ who is your casting oh so
1: for, m- mine's easy I just had to go um, look him up because for some reason I couldn't remember his name but Woody Harrelson was my go-to person.
0: Interesting. For this. And the reason
1: I say that is because he has the range of kind of like charisma but also of being like a man who wants what he wants. And so you can kind of imagine in like one of his more uh dark roles that he would have been perfect uh lording over the group as they were having the discussion. And then, Mm -hmm, at the mm -hmm. same time, when, like, he kind of has a positive turn, you can definitely look at Woody Harrelson and be like, "Yeah, at this moment, I hate you, and at this moment, you're fine, and at this moment, you suck. And then, like, on top of that, he's a little soft all over, because he's an older guy, and, like, he was never really, like, a super buff person, and he Mm -hmm. is, like, aging in that way that he has a predominant chin, and looks like he would jut it out, and... And yeah, tell you angrily, yeah. like, this is how it's gonna be.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love Woody Harrelson, that's a great, that's it. Again, a super offbeat from what I'm imagining choice, but I really like it. I feel like, I he's really a, like it.
1: Fairly underappreciated actor, like, I think so. He doesn't get
0: as much. Um, he was so good and true, detective. Oh my god, he was amazing. in that I mean, everybody always talks about Matthew McConaughey and that Mm-mm. it was. Russ Cole's great and all, but like yeah he's he's great in that show, yeah, he's a good dude,
1: anyway, what about you, Rachel? What do you got?
0: So I went a very different direction, okay. and I'm kind of amazed that you and I both managed to pick people that nobody else selected, so I picked for I wanted to pick someone who again like can kind of be both those things like imperious and imposing, but also like an undercurrent of heart, mm-hmm. and to me, nobody embodies that better than John Goodman oh. Yeah, I he I think he can like just think about um, what's that? Uh, Cloverfield Lane, Ten Cloverfield Lane, like that heel turn he does in that movie. Ooh, he's so good at whatever he wants to I do. I mean, he
1: first debuted that style in um, oh Brother, Where Art Thou, where he's the Bible <laughs> mm-hmm. salesman.
0: Yeah, and yeah. then he just
1: like I... turns the corner to like I'm gonna murder you.
0: So this is like a super deep cut. I don't expect you to know this movie. But for those in the audience who love like a sexy 90s thriller as much as I do, Sea of Love was the first place I saw him do this. Oh, no, I've never seen it. Oh, it's like an Al Pacino movie about like the serial killer in the like uh, in I think in Louisiana. So it's all about like the South and I don't know it's it's he's but he is really awesome and scary in that that and fallen when he gets like possessed by the demon and fallen. He's so scary. <laughs> That's a great movie. If you've never seen it with Denzel Washington.
1: No not seen it.
0: It's like this body hopping demon and you always know who it's in because it like sings the song. It's, ooh, it's a really 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 good movie. Anyway. So yes John Goodman is my Psy Overholzer. All right. Cool. So this is the part of the show where I ask for a new listener question if I remember to do it, which I did not. (laughs) So I apologize. No new listener question on the show. However, I will be posting it on the Facebook page before we record the next episode. So keep an eye there. um, And we hope that you all participate. If you haven't joined the Facebook group, I don't think you actually have to like get approved anymore. Like they change the way the groups work. So it's really easy to get in. Um, Just hop on, join us answer the questions or you can drop us check it out if you're not on facebook you can go look at the facebook group and drop us an email with your answer whatever you want to do but unfortunately i just i sorry i ran out of time and i forgot to come up with a question unless dj you have one off the top of your head uh
1: no but did you know that woody harrelson was in a superhero movie
0: yes what was it it, it's called the defender oh he heard of this movie is it a movie or is it a series? Is it The Defender or The Defenders plural? A uh, Defender singular. Oh, I don't know what that is. Um, a comedy. I know he's in a Star Wars movie.
1: three characters, an everyday guy who comes to believe he is a superhero, a regular man who adopts a superhero persona, and yeah, it stars Woody Harrelson as the Defender
0: hilarious it's from 2009 yeah and apparently do not remember this at
1: all apparently there was a sequel what uh well what does it say from the defender blah blah, blah. oh no never mind that's trailer
0: 2 not uh defender 2 okay oh okay <laughs> um i mean yeah i knew he was in a star wars movie did not know he was in a superhero Weird. movie i guess he was he also in no he was not okay all right anyway cool learning all kinds of stuff where am I in my notes? Blurg. Okay. So on that note, if you want to get in touch with us, there are lots of ways that you can do that. You can email us at cast of at zombie girls, Or you can hit us up over on our Facebook group, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ZG podcasts. Plural. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know any of your crackpot theories or <laughs> feelings about our crackpot theories? <laughs> please feel feel free to drop us a line. And if you are looking for something spooky to watch, you should check out our video on demand and streaming calendar on the Zombie Girls website because we keep track of all this, the horror and horror adjacent things that are coming out on various streaming services as well as on uh, video demand rental. And if you want to get some cool new gear to start off 2022 on the right note, check out our merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. And if you love us and you want to support us and you want more of this excellent content that we are pumping out into the universe, you should support us uh, by joining our Patreon where all of our episodes across the entire network are extended as well as bonus content. In fact, this month, our bonus content is going to be cast of cost specific we're still working out exactly what that's gonna be but we'll be recording it like i think next weekend or weekend after next i just learned something new and i work here I mean, we've talked about it. <laughs> uh, it's okay if you forgot, but uh, you're, as long as I'm on your calendar, we'll figure it out. Um, and like, for instance, today we are going to be talking about, I have a new thing I want to try on our extended episodes and see what you think about this, DJ. I'm going to tell you, uh, bring up weird news topics, and then I want you to talk to me about them. Okay. So we're going to try that today, because I know you keep kind of a little pulse, finger on the pulse of the weird, the weirdness of the world. So we'll see. We'll see what you think. Um, And that is it for all the plugs. So, DJ, if people want some more of you in their life, where can they find you on the t- internets?
1: Uh, you can find me at Um, and possibly on some YouTube channel, apparently, that
0: we're working on that I have it's not been paid any attention to. About... I mean, I hope it's happening. I just recorded a bunch of stuff. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> um, you can also find me on the Zombie
1: Girls Network. Uh, you can swing over to Etsy and check out the Muffin Spank. Section where some possible uh, drum converted suitcases might be showing up for your buying. Are we gonna
0: sell those? Huh? Uh, Well, they're pretty cool. I ended.
1: I so for inside baseball, and I guess this isn't behind the scenes, but uh, um, I am building a suitcase trap set. So when it's done, the body of the suitcase will be the bass drum, and then when you open it up, you pull out the other components of the trap set and it all fits into a single suitcase so that i can get my maximum busk going this summer for fun are you gonna be busking oh yeah i used to busk all the time um yeah i know but how long ago was that like a while ago right like uh off and on over the years probably once or twice a year playing harmonica or whatever and it depends on how i'm feeling um but with this case uh (laughs) i i figure i if i'm set up in the park you know I'd play there for an hour or two, and I'm sure someone will come out of the pot shop and ask me to join their band, and, and then I'll be in a little bluegrass thing or something like that. Um, but I had to find enough uh, donor drums to make this thing and ended up with enough spare parts to make like five or six of these. Um, oh, wow. So I will likely be making that many so I can get rid of the rest of the bits and bops that I have laying around and clean out my garage. Uh, So uh, there won't be full trap sets for sale because that one's for me, but there will be possibly some bass drum slash tambourine ensembles that you could pick up and start jamming. Brad, Brad,
0: Brad. that's so cool. I've seen, I've seen the prototype and it looks do. Yeah. That one was
1: my test that, did you see the green suitcase? Mm -hmm. The green suitcase was my, I after I've worked out the bugs go to because it's such a classy (laughs) freaking suitcase yeah and it's really cool. i got an actual like wooden hoop to go all the way around the drum instead of the metal one uh so it'll be like very retro 50s looking as it squeezes into that like sort of like late 50s suitcase um Mm -hmm. the only limitation is the size of the suitcase means that um it will be more challenging for me to figure out how to get all of the drums
0: in said suitcase so we'll see how that works out We'll see how it works out. I'm excited to see it. And I will say, if you guys are curious to see, you know, DJ's Wild Workshop, his Willy Wonka Wild Workshop, you should definitely join the Patreon so that you can hop on the Discord. um, Because he documents all the cool shit that he's making, along with all the other goofy stuff that we're talking about. And I have to say, there is not enough Dark Tower conversation on the Discord. So I hope that some of you will join us. It's a lot of fun.
1: One more thing for the behind the scenes today. Okay. Um, I would like to tell you about the bins the bins yeah um it's a i won't tell you too much right now but uh it is a giant warehouse and you sort through items yourself and that's all i'll say for now
0: okay all right tease 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 all right so where else can you find me on the internet thank you for asking <laughs> DJ. you can find me on the zombie girls podcast where we review horror films from a feminist perspective i think we're going to be talking about witches of eastwick and death becomes her next ooh. we're recording that this weekend yeah both boo movies. or ooh oh okay i thought you said boo i was like hey i like those movies. no those are both great oh. movies i and it was my turn to program because we take turns and i was like we're we're gonna watch something good i'm tired (laughs) of watching stuff i don't want to (laughs) watch uh you can find me on more deadly where we view horror films directed exclusively by women we have a really amazing interview that we recorded this week that i cannot wait to put out it's under embargo right now so i can't put it out yet but we interviewed the adams family who make films together and they have they made the Deeper You Dig and their new film Hellbender comes out later this month. And spoiler alert, it's really good. So we talked to the entire family and they're amazing. It was like one of my favorite interviews I've ever done ever across my entire career. So that was really, really fun. Um, We have Stream Queens, which uh, is about reviewing horror films that you can stream on the internet. Our next episode... we our next episode is actually Hellraiser, which I think came up in this episode. We made our guest, Larry, who'd never seen it before and was very nervous to watch it, see it for the first time. And then finally, you can find me on the Untitled Nick Cage podcast, where, again, I'm talking with Larry about his favorite Nick Cage movie this time because it was his birthday. So he got to program the episode. We watched The Rock, a movie that changed the trajectory of his life forever. you want to find out what that means you'll have to listen to the episode and as far as guest spots i was recently on i've been on here's johnny recently talking about scream and uh uh, until dawn and pretty soon coming up i will be appearing on the guest of horror podcast with our friend borp oh is borp's alive yeah borp is alive he is he why i just we just played poker with him the other day um uh, like any yeah, Swedish, I, I, yes. And we learned all about Swedish food and Swedish culture and what the Swedes think of America. <laughs> but yeah, so we're, I'm going to be on his podcast, Guest of Horror, uh, very soon. So I'll give you more details once that drops. I'll definitely post about it if you guys want to check that out. I think we're gonna have a really fun conversation. I got to pick the movie and I got to pick one of my favorites that is like totally underappreciated. So I'm I'm gonna proselytize about that. All right, that is it for me. And unless you are sticking around for the extended episode, we are out of here. DJ, take us out.
1: Uh, well, uh wasn't prepared this time. <laughs> you failed horribly at my normal rant. So, uh, let me tell you, don't grow up in a city where your kids get shipped off to dark places because you'll have growing spurts that really suck. And good night. <laughs>
0: Bye, everybody <laughs> thanks everybody for listening and to my co-host dj for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies production on this episode was done by yours truly our theme song for the show was created by dj <clears throat> here we go hello everyone and welcome to the extended episode where we are about to keep it extra weird are you ready to get weird dj i mean uh, uh-
1: i actually like spoiled this with an extra thing to add weirdness to it so yeah sure why not
0: right well you know what i always say you don't have to get weird if you stay weird so (laughs) do you want to start with your thing or do you want to hear one of the stories because i will i have to give credit where credit is due and also blame where blame is due (laughs) this doesn't work just kidding produce our producer uh here Pulled some strange news from the internet that I want to get your take on because I feel like, like I said, you keep your finger on the pulse of weirdness, and also the, a lot of times there's a lot of science crossover. So, and you are a resident scientist on the cast call. <laughs> so fair enough.
1: Okay, well, let let me start with the bins. Yes,
0: yeah. Tell me about the bins. Then... No, is it the bins like B E N D S or is it the bends like bins
1: like B I N S? Uh, whichever one you put stuff in. <laughs>
0: Okay, BINS cuz <laughs> the bins are like a thing you get if you come up yeah, yeah, that with the your...
1: nitrogen yeah. um yeah. issue and the bubbles forming in your blood it would be the bends um, uh-huh. but in this case uh so my friends um are avid uh goodwill and thrift store hunters
0: Mm, i i can identify with and that i, love I, I am too
1: but i try not to because i bring home too much junk normally um, <laughs> You're
0: like but i could use this to make another yeah, thing yeah and my wife doesn't your wife is like mm, she doesn't, you can make divorce papers if you exactly yeah <laughs> and she doesn't like my style of
1: decor decor so uh, no um in general oh. i am not allowed to put stuff on the walls because <laughs> i have a um Fancy for uh, chrome Jesuses, even though I'm zero religion. <laughs> and like, I also like really wildly colored things in like grandma art. Like in my office, I have a uh, is it macrame when you like take the yarn and like turn it? Yeah. Into thing? I I
0: love macrame. See, I feel like we have some like taste crossover. I could, yeah. I have a giant I I would be a bad influence. I'd be like, yes, buy that obnoxious thing. Of course you need to have that in your (laughs) (laughs)
1: home. Danny'd be like, get rid of her. So my (laughs) friends basically were like, hey, you got to go to this place. Like at least once in your life. Okay, what is it? Well, it turns out it is this massive warehouse uh, that is what intercepts all of these donations from various places um all over uh port or well not just portland but over oregon and washington and what happens is before anybody sorts through anything or does any work with the items whatsoever or decides what what's going to happen to them they just jump dump them into these huge totes like the size of a truck and <laughs> you wait like kind of like vultures to feed on a carcass as they align six of these into a row and then they sound the alarm and you can spring on them and grab whatever oh you my can Oh god! Uh, it is sold <laughs>
0: oh no it is sold
1: by the pound whoa um so under 25 pounds it's like two dollars and 15 cents a pound and over uh 25 pounds it's like a dollar 20 a pound uh, so you like everybody's going away with like around twenty five, thirty pounds worth of, of stuff uh, from the get go, and like it's all over the place. There were like pro eBay hunters in there that were specifically after like certain types of records and oh, and clothing and so on. Um, there were people that were like anything that's shiny, I'm shoving it in my cart and then throwing it back afterwards if I don't like it. <laughs> Uh-huh. They were just like. I bet it's
0: a free for. It. Yeah, it was
1: all over the place.